We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What a Arsenal sort out January fixture congestion by cleverly tricking Spurs into winning cup tie at the Emirates. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, Spurs, they've got two fixtures against Chelsea in January, while we do not. I mean, we do, the league one. But we don't have to play some stupid Carabao Cup semifinal, followed by a final against Manchester City. And I think we can all agree that we are all the better for it. We're out of that stupid Mickey Mouse Cup, and uh, Spurs are still in it. So, joke's on them. They fell for it. Jedi mind trick. This is a game we want to win. Haha, no it isn't. We didn't want to win it. So, there you go. Anyway, Clive's on Twitter. You can find him at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul's on Twitter. You can find him at Positive Mind Pants. Hello, Paz. Suckers. Yeah, they are suckers, aren't they? A <laughs> couple of things. Tim put his match preview video up on Patreon already, so it's there for the Burnley match. This is coming out kind of late, so uh, you may be getting to this just as that game's closing in, and uh, his match preview video is up on that. I want to just take a moment to address something. And I think it needs to be addressed because uh, I think Clive spoke so eloquently and articulately, as did everybody else on the podcast, uh, both here and on the Arscast, about uh, racism and how it relates to Aubameyang having a a banana skin thrown at him and and what happened with Raheem Sterling. I think it is worth at least a mention that uh, we've seen some some pretty wretched examples of anti-Semitism lately, and uh, it is equally deeply unpleasant, obviously. You know, there's the defense that, oh, well, we can call them Yids because they call themselves Yids. I mean, I think... Anyone with half a brain knows that's not the case. And, you know, Clive, as I'm sure you can attest to, there are things that within communities can be said to one another that does not make it okay to have it said uh, from outside of that community 
or to other groups. Um, you know, I cer- certainly don't need to go in any greater depth on that to make that point clear. And, you know, at the point at which you were trying to make those excuses, uh, when paired with the fact that there are uh, sounds of Jews being gassed uh, in the Holocaust that accompany those those anti-Semitic remarks, then I think it is pretty clear what the intention is. And I understand there may be people who are doing that out of a tribalist hatred towards Spurs and not out of anti-Semitism, but references to uh, gassing Jews in the Holocaust is deeply offensive and upsetting. Uh, and this is not a question of, of political correctness or being overly sensitive. This is a, a question of not wanting to live in a society where those things are welcome. And certainly as we you know, enter a time in history where the people who fought and died uh, in World War II are becoming a more distant memory, that the people who fought and survived World War II are no longer with us, and that generation uh, fades away, the entire experience can be lost, and the memory of what was lost during that time can become more attenuated and it can make it easier to have these kinds of ideas and concepts embraced and we are seeing that and it is really unfortunate. And so I thought that we had to start the podcast with it because it is important. I am certainly happy to let uh, Paul, you or Clive have a word on this, obviously, but I wanted to state the case um, because I think, you know, if we're going to address the insidiousness of racism uh, as it relates to one community, it is important to extend that to communities that are feeling it uh, across all of those those groups. So, I mean, Paul, just really quickly, you have a you have a thought on the anti-Semitic chants? It's not a very big thought, but I, I just want to say, just a personal opinion, but I think there's probably nothing lower than racism in my estimation of mankind. And I know some people find some way of justifying themselves that they're not racist while doing things that come across as racist or are racist. But Jesus Christ, guys, get with it. You know, this is the 21st century now. It says everything about you. Uh, when you when you do a racist act, encourage, allow. And there's a whole bunch of people standing around these people. Um, so it, it extends beyond one or a few. There is nothing fucking lower. And to me, it's secondary how it reflects on the club. Because more important than the club is mankind and womankind, he says, being politically correct, given the topic we're on. But there's nothing fucking lower, so, you know. Yeah, and and by the way, I don't think it reflects on the club. Because at the end of the day, you know, I I don't see anything about the club that encourages this. Certainly not anymore. It it reflects on the individual. But I think we certainly need to uh, make sure that individuals do not feel encouraged to be able to say these things. Clive, you want to sort of wrap up? Can I just add quickly to that? I think you hit an important point because as soon as you start, in a way, worrying about whether it does or doesn't reflect on the club, you do end up directly or indirectly buying into tribalism. If it's not you, it's the person who responds to the view that reflects on the club. You know, fuck the club, fuck the clubs. This is about people. And this is fucking low grade. And come on, guys. Yeah, there, there guys. are a lot of terrible behaviors that are justified as being tribalist and related to football. And I think the sooner we realize that this is not a football issue, the sooner people will feel less inclined to to say these chants and make these comments and will understand that they are just defensive chants as a, as a person and have nothing to do with tribalism within football. And Clive, uh, before we move on to a much lighter topic, which is Mesut Ozil, um, do you have a sort of final thought on on yeah, the anti-Semitic chants? Uh, maybe not specifically the chants, because we you know 
we all know they're they're not appropriate, right? But football's a massive platform. Um, within football, we have an opportunity to create a set of values with how you watch and react within the game. And football is a huge chance to set an example. I'm not saying we need to be like rugby. I'm not sure what those values are, but I think we can agree they can we can improve from where we are today. And if we can create a, an environment where it's not a, fa- a safe place to be an idiot, then that's a great that's a great start. And I think we just gotta, you know, the, we wouldn't behave this way if we walk into our workplace, right? We wouldn't behave this way. So why behave this way in the stadium? So I can say Arsenal is one of those places that we'd like to think is is perfect. As, as fans, we like to think is perfect. The listenership to this podcast, we know they're deep thinkers and they're sensible people. So we're not really t- talking to the main to you, but to anyone else that listens, I hope this comes across appropriately because we don't want this to continue. And if you ignore it, then the game will eat itself, right? So we need to make sure that decent-minded people say something, whether it's appropriate for them or not, to at least, to least say the right thing and try to do the right thing. So... Hopefully, you'll take us on board in the right way. Yeah, I, there are times when I feel because look, I, I presume, and I think I am right that the people who are listening to this, by and large, are not racist, anti-Semitic, sexist, homophobic people, and so, you know, it feels a little bit like preaching to the choir to come on this podcast and say these things to people who I am sure agree with these sentiments. And yet, I feel that there's an important responsibility for all of us to amplify this message as much as possible because the more it is amplified, hopefully, the more it will drive the darkness out. Of, of the game, out of the society, out of the communities where, where it impacts them. And, you know, obviously here in the United States, it wasn't so long ago, you know, very, very recently when a, a guy walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and shot up a synagogue during a religious ceremony, a religious ceremony for a baby, by the way, which is despicable. Um, not that it would have been despicable any other way because of basically conspiracy theories and uh, around anti-Semitism. So, you know, to suggest that this is harmless fun, it's not. Because even even if somehow you can talk yourself into the idea that it is harmless fun and it just has to do with football, the ability to chant these sort of things in public embolden people who who hold these hateful messages. So that's all I have to say about that. Uh, eight minutes into the podcast, longer than I had intended to go on that. But I think, you know, certainly if we're going to address one issue, which is very, very serious, we should be sure to address any issue where communities like this are impacted. So uh, let's get on to Arsenal. And Paul, I have a first question for you. Really simple, straightforward question. Quick answer. Um, Paul? Yep. Will it be okay? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, okay. it will. Okay, good. Um, I want to do this. I, w- I want to start with the Mesodozo thing because I think it is a headline. And, and by the time people are listening to this, a couple days removed from the game. We'll, we'll come on to the game a little bit. But I, I, I sort of po- poised a question, poised a question, posed a question tongue in cheek on Twitter. But I think it's one worth asking. The original sin is giving Mesodozo $350,000 a week contract to a guy pushing 30 when the manager's on his way out and a new boss is coming in and we don't know who that new boss is going to be. But once you've done that, once you've committed that kind of money to that player, with all of the challenges and issues that go along with it, how much is it the responsibility of the guy you hire to make sure that one of the key priorities for him is that he is able to work with and get the best out of this player? I mean, there are echoes of the Neymar situation, certainly from PSG, but to what extent do you think... Emery's focus is rightfully on what's you know what's just best for the for the club and and setting down the law and and holding his players to it. Or do you take the view that that getting the best out of Mesut Ozil is a big part of his remit? 
Uh, you asking me? Yes, sorry. Okay, so I would say uh, I'm very much in the camp that you do not put that constraint on the manager. He's got enough shit going on that the only constraint you put on is with the squad you've got uh, formulated as quickly as can. you got to take the tough medicine. you got to rip the Band-Aid off the hairy leg, no matter how hairy it is, no matter how sticky the Band-Aid is. And it's you can't look at... Emery and say he has not tried with Ozil and you know th- this is assuming the worst case scenario that it's not working out it's not going to work out and he's trying to uh, formulate a way forward without Ozil part of his plans which may or may not be how it comes to pass but if we take that assumption it's going down that path then no I don't think you can put that con- it, managing a team to get results is hard enough without having to put in a player who totally defines how you play. You can't put Ozil... We've had many conversations on this pod where somebody has voiced the view that says the type of player Ozil is does not fit into the modern game at the top level. Now, I don't know if I agree with that or not. I I can be swung either way because I'm, I'm easily moldable. But if we believe for a moment that is true, then you can't then turn around and say, all right, Mesut Ozil, we want you to get Arsenal to the highest level as quickly as possible. We must be in the Champions League. We must this, we must that, we must the other. We must define a style of play. But you got to do it with the most uh, significant player and the most significant position already selected for you, uh, determining a style that is not suited to the modern, modern game, and we don't want any excuses. So that's the, I would lay out that counter position to you. Uh, the constraint I put on uh, Emery is to make things work. I, I understand there are those who say, but uh, if you're planning a game for uh, an end game for Ozil, then you don't look, make everything look bad, make him look bad, make us look bad if you want to get him sold. But I'm amazed how players get sold in the marketplace. Uh, despite having been pissed all over by our, their manager, which our manager has not done, despite all sorts of fucking shenanigans, they still go on to get ridiculous prices in other places. Now, Mesut Ozil may not be that player, but I don't. I wouldn't necessarily distort and contort what I do within my team and the message I'm sending my players with the idea. I have one eye on the value I'm going to get for Ozil in some future sale. Emery is at least the pl- upside of all of this is Emery is com- communicating to players from Iwobi to Ainsley Maitland Niles to Emil Smith Rowe that you are going to be picked on merit and talent and contribution and buying in and how you express yourself in the system and the impact you can have and that's the upside the downside is you have a very large uh shadow looming over everything from the training practice to the media to the pressers to who's going to be in the squad or not but that wasn't a problem of his making okay well clive I have a. I, I think that's all very well said, Paul. I I don't disagree with all of it, but I I'm. This is one of those rare occasions. Where I'm not, transition without using the word but, though. Okay, well, so I'll level with you because something weird is happening to me. This is one of those rare situations where I'm not totally sure what I think yet. It's kind of evolving for me. Um, I mean, Clive, let me ask you this. Let's say there was a super super talented head coach in the NBA. Okay, super talented, like like the guy everybody wants. 
And he's like perfect for your team. The only problem is he can't work with LeBron James and you have LeBron James. Like, you can't have that guy. Now, look, basketball's different. One guy can win you a title by himself. There's only five guys on. And not LeBron James. No, and he's not. No, and he's not. Of course, of course. No, no, no. But but so what I'm trying to say is for a club like Arsenal, 350,000 a week isn't a big salary. It is is a game-changing, paradigm-shifting, tactic-binding salary. And so what I'm what I'm asking you is, at the point that you give a guy that much money to where you probably won't be able to move him, where you are, where you are really burdened by that to a level where it is a, it is a path you've committed to in such a significant way, can't you make the argument that the only way you thrive is if you can get the best out of that player? Uh, wages and money does, doesn't guarantee performance. Right, that's one thing. No, 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 but it, but it sets does, your path, right? I mean, we we ha- we now have this player; and he's and, ours. And and, and and then we didn't set that path, right? right? Yep. So when he walked in, when he walked in, he's done. He's coming. He spoke highly of a number of players in the club. He hasn't selected anybody. He, he spoke highly of Aaron Ramsey, even though we are probably in contract negotiations. He spoke highly of Özil. He spoke highly of Shaka. He spoke highly of everybody. And he's come in and he's made everyone feel included, right? So he's come up with his five captains and he's had his most five senior players. He's got hold of them and said, right, you are going to help me lead this club forward. You are my senior players. You are my five captains. He's made nobody feel special. He's made everybody feel special. And that was, you know, that was continued with some of our Europa League teams. No one was left behind because they had a bit of a sore back. Everybody went. I mean, it's all this all for one, one for all. And then it comes down to, okay, that's me now. One-to-ones, find out what everyone's happening with, with themselves. Treat everyone as a group. Create this collective attitude. Brilliant. Man management, right? Then you come into a squad. And then you start to deliver your tactical message. And then you start to work people. Then you start to see who's reacting best to those messages. Then you start to see who's measuring up to your new measures that you've laid down to the squad. And then you start to see who's with you, right? Who is with you? Who is supporting you by their actions in training, off the pitch, on the pitch? Who is with you? And if someone shows that they're not with you, then what are you meant to do? Because if you are seen to be weakest to the biggest boy in the playground, you will get beaten up every lunchtime break for the rest of your life. It wasn't every lunch break, to be fair. It was just three (laughs) days a week, and I got over it. (laughs) Exactly. But you have to to stand up because everyone's looking now. He's the favorite. He's the big boy. He's the franchise player, and he's taking a piss out of you. So what are you going to do? And if you don't deal with it appropriately or you don't deal with it consistently and you make him feel different – then you lose everybody else. This is not about talent. Because if it's a talent question, we all know he is the most talented footballer in the club, in my opinion, shall we say. Yeah, I think that's probably right. But, but when it's down to application, influence, how are you influencing the team? How are you applying your ability? And I'm not saying roll your sleeves up like Scott Parker, Mark Noble. I'm saying applying your <laughs> ability consistently. And if you're not applying your ability consistently, then why should I separate you from the rest? Is it because you negotiated a contract which was twice, which I feel comfortable 
personally that we should be playing. I don't think that is an Arsenal contract. I think that's a complete outlier in our history. The, the original right? sin so, is the contract. There's no question the original sin exactly. here is the contract. And yeah. that's nothing to do with Emery. Right? No. So all he's trying to do is manage a squad of people. And that contract has put him under financial constraints. And I think... I, I, I'm not even sure if he's massively concerned by that. The club may be concerned by that. I just think he's got one or two options. I've got to manage this player from a football and tactical perspective. I have to treat him the same as everybody else. My management philosophy is I want a collective group. It doesn't mean I can't work with superstars. And I, and I sort of don't like the Neymar comparison because Neymar was thrust upon him while he was already in charge. He was bought by a nation at around 700 million euros worth of investment and given to him and told he had to play him and he was going to be the Ballon d'Or winner. And he was told almost to change his formation to suit him. He had no chance. Could I add on that? Not only was he one player bought by a nation, but he had a Brazilian entourage at the club, Adam. You you know, the whole thing with Alves, uh, Danny Alves smuggling him the ball for a penalty in the middle of the game. I mean, it goes way beyond just... And and I'll add, by the way, a player who is outside of Messi and Ronaldo, probably the best in the world. So, you know, yeah. not that he's deserving of any of that, but still, you know, again, he Messi, is. Messi and if is Tim, not. And if Tim, you know, if Tim was on, he would talk about his flaws. He would talk about his immaturity. He would talk about his entourage. He would talk about his influences from his family. He's not perfect, right? And Emery was given all of this. I, I want to know anybody in the world that can manage that situation. Very few could do it, apart from the, maybe the guy at Man City. Right, it's the only one. Right, so I don't think that's a sign of weakness. If anything, it's great for us because he's seen now what not to do or not to let happen. So he's coming to Arsenal, his next experience, and he's thinking, you know what? I've learned how a dressing room can can fall away. I'm going to control the narrative from now on. And when I see something that's not right, I won't be afraid to call it out. I'm going to call it out and I'm going to confront. And you have to do that. I've had situations myself. You have to do it. If you don't do it, you're done. You're finished. All the other players look at you and they expect you to do it. It's a test of your character. It's a test of your caliber. It's a test of your quality. If you don't deal with it, you're done, completely done. That's how dressing rooms are lost. We've just seen a guy at Manchester United lose his job. Why? Because he couldn't handle the dressing room. He couldn't handle the dressing room appropriately for the modern day player to make sure he brought enough players with him. He hadn't set the right environment, which was collective. He made the environment all about him. Right? And I, I tell you what, I absolutely don't care what Emery does with this situation. I don't care how it lands. The most important thing is He's in control. He's driving the right messages to his squad. He is consistent with how he manages his squad. And he doesn't weaken. He only weakens when people start to work for him in the way he wants them to work. Mm-hmm. And if they don't work for him, they can go. Yeah. And that's the, and that's the way it goes. Sergio Aguero at Man City. When, he, when Pep came in, it was a fat little dumpling, wasn't pressing. He's pressing, <laughs> he's pressing now, isn't he? He's pressing his ass off. He bought Gabriel Jesus to keep him keen, and he's running around like a three-year-old, right? And and that's what you got to do. You manage people. Uh, and manage Pep, people when he started out at Barca, I mean, Pep was a, a, mm. close to a nobody at that stage, and look who he got rid of in terms of the star power that was there. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I'm going to do something that's going to surprise you both, which is I think I'm going to agree with you. 
Um, I, you know, I, I think there's a benefit to taking the, the opposing position for the sake of debate. I don't know that I believe in it in this point. And I, look, a couple of things. If you listen to the Ars cast, which everybody obviously does, uh, Andrew Ars blog quite brilliantly played the video, the audio clip from the video of, uh, Aaron Ramsey being asked who was the teacher's pet at the club from last season. Yeah, and he I said Mesut Ozil. And he said, yeah, he gets his extra time off and he gets to go to the manager's office and ask for the things he wants. And that's instructive. The other thing is, if the way he was handling the Ozil situation was wrong, I think you'd see it in the squad. But the camaraderie in the squad seems excellent. There's certainly no sign that the players are put off by how he's handled the Ozil situation. And it may, in fact, be the opposite. The way he's handled the Ozil situation may be exactly what some of these players were hoping would happen with Ozil. It may, in fact, be that the reason Arsene lost the squad a little bit last season was because he broke too much individuality from from Mesut Ozil in terms of the treatment he expected. Now, a and lot of this is previously Alexis. I and, mean, you, yeah. you put those two huge characters in there and the def- dysfunction that could have come with them and that amplified because of uh, Arson's own vulnerability because things were going tits up. Then you come into Emery's reign, you can't say you can't break the leg to reset it when the, the leg's coming off a 45 degrees angle, right? He Something was going to have, some shit was going to have to hit the fan, and I think he's kept it incredibly clean. I mean, look at the shit that isn't going on in press conferences. Well, let me, let me ask you about that real quick, Paul. I mean, yeah. do you think, not to interrupt you, but if I don't, then people will be like, what podcast am I listening to? I, so, I, I so, was going to interrupt him, but I'll, I'll wait. I'll let let me interrupt him first, and then you interrupt him next. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but just real quick, because you, you brought up press conferences, and I wanted to ask this question, so I'll ask it before you just answer it anyway, which is, all right, so let's say he's done the right thing in a sense, right? Let's say he's yeah. handling this the right way, where he's showing to the team that we are a collective, that the wager on may, you know, look, it, it has to in the modern game buy you a little bit of different treatment. You're not going to treat every, you know, Eddie and Ketty the sure. same way as Mesodoso, but it buys you a little, you know, buy, that is a, is a collective. How do you think he's handled it with his public utterances? Because you could make the argument mm. that he's maybe been a little more transparent. Um, with some of what he mm. said than is necessary. I mean, you know, saying that he left Mesut Ozil out of a North London Derby cup uh, cup tie for tactical reasons, that's that's maybe a little sure. more than need to be said. So, so how do you feel he's done? You may agree in practice with what he's done, you know, with how he's handling the, the actual situation, but how do you feel he's handled it in terms of the public-facing side of it? Yeah, I get you there. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. We don't know. I think you said earlier it's kind of too early in the game to decide how it's all going. Um, you know, we're in the middle of the Ozil denouement. Is this about getting Ozil to respond and using a little bit of public limelight to to put some additional pressure on Ozil to respond or or back the fuck off? And so we don't know yet, but I, I certainly have the little bit of concern that he's shared too much. And like as of the, I think the most recent press conference now, he's more in the Ozil's back in the 18 and every player will have their chance and Ozil's important to us. Um, but again, you know, a tiny bit of maneuvering in in the public eye done well is good i think he's kept his nose pretty clean on the being overtly political or mind manipulation or mind games it it i don't think it would suit him i don't think it suits where we're at as a club generally or or arsenal as a club gener- generally 
tends to certainly uh, through the arson rain keep, keep its its uh, its politics fairly well under wraps, and so I think we're seeing maybe to Clive's point, I think consistency. Re- Consistency is really important in terms of message within the squad and the message in the media, but it's also, you know, gives a man a little bit of of uh, space to work there and maybe even to make a small mistake or two. I'm not. We don't know how this will play out. We don't know if he's um, still trying to find the right message that resonates through the media and through his team. But even if he's a little off, this is a tough situation to kind of, you know, what do you do? You you signal uh, that Mesut Ozil is not uh, pulling his weight to some degree and that the the emphasis should be on the football. And then the shit hits the fan, fan in terms of the media. So you maybe adjust the tone a little bit. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. a huge divergence. I, I think it's tough. I think it's tough for any manager unless you play with a big megaphone like a Mourinho, um, which has its own costs, then you've got to respond and adjust a little bit and, and kind of cut your cloth to your measure as, as you go along. And, you know, this message Ozo story is just too big to be super consistent on without any, any uh, adjustments to the message. So mm-hmm. inevitable. Uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. And if he, the, the harder moves are to come. Does he re? Because it goes one one way or the other. Does he reintegrate him, and how does he handle that in the the media? Uh, but more importantly, within the squad, or does does it go tits up, and we need to sell him? And then, really, how does he handle that in the media and the, and the shit fest that goes around it? While while so, the hard job has to come. We're just beginning to see the lines diverge. Is it, is the path going one way or the other? And that's mm-hmm. when you really see whether he can handle it. Well, and let's update this just real quick with the latest info, which is that the manager has said, or the coach has said that he's in the team that he's going to yep. play tomorrow. He's in the 18 uh, against, you know, against Burnley. I always thought he would. I always well, thought he would. Right. So I'm, you know, and, and it's funny, they're right? A sit, they're a sit deep team. We said it last week, didn't we? They're a sit deep team and we need to beat them by, by inches. And that is his game all day. Team sitting deep. How can we, how can we squeeze past them? He was always playing tomorrow. Well, so a, a final thought on this, because I do actually want to talk about the oh, football. Oh, I'm not done. I'm yeah, well, that's why I'm saying. So that's what I'm saying. He played against Southampton on the same logic, couldn't he? Well, not really. Well, it's a way. All right. All right. So, yeah. so, so two things to finish this up with, Clive. I mean, I do think we need to just really quickly, I know Paul wanted to get in on this topic, so we'll get back in on, you know, what what the Mesodoza wage means and what we could actually do to dig ourselves out of this situation. But as a final thought, I mean, where do you go then with Mesodoza? I mean, Emery, on, on the one hand, says he drops him for tactical reasons from the Derby. Then on the other hand, says, like, I don't see what the problem is. He's starting at Burnley. So, I mean, do you feel he's handled the public-facing side of it well? Um, I think he's handled it the best he can. Mm-hmm. And what are we basing it on? What's our measure? What's our baseline? We're seeing him for the first time handle adversity, and he's doing it in his, in a, you know, he may not be fluent in, in the language, and, and he's doing it. I actually quite like the fact that he's saying it as he sees it. He's a tactical coach, as you call him, although I call him our manager. He's a coach, so what else can he say? He's got, he's got to be for football reasons. Right? He can't be for anything else. He doesn't manage the club top to bottom. He manages the football team. So if a player's not playing, it can only be for football reasons. That's all he can communicate. 
He can't say if he's fallen out of him. He can't say if he's had a row. And he hasn't actually said that, right? So I'm not sure what anyone else expects. I think I have a, I have a lot of frustration with this, I've got to say. Um, I think as, you know, as fans, we watch the game too much through certain players' eyes. And if that player isn't there, we then question everything else around the club and how it's run. And, and I think it's crap. I really do. I think it's crap. We need to start thinking slightly differently. The, the club should always come first, right? And there are players in that club that we all love more than others. But the club should always come first. If you keep that that sort of parallel in your mind, then you should be able to see this more clearly. In the end, Meza Ozil is an employee of Arsenal Football Club. He's been here five years, right? And we've had plenty of time to see him. He's made a lot of money. We've invested £18 million a year, around £73 million over four years, into this individual. Arsenal have given him a lot. And he's given us some wonderful moments. When it comes down to it, he's looking out for himself. He, he negotiates contracts. He's looking out for himself. He doesn't like what he's been told to do. And so he's looking out for himself. And he's taking the manager on. The manager has reached the moment of his career. Because pe- there are people out there that think like you, that the Neymar situation he struggled with. And if he struggles with it twice, he's done. He has to be strong. He has to be strong. There was a moment when Benga started and there was the whole paedophile thing and he came to the front of the club and he spoke eloquently and he killed the rumours in the most eloquent way, stone dead. People in the club recognised that was the moment when he elevated himself. If Emery comes through this appropriately, I think he elevates himself significantly. And what people are forgetting is that we may, if Mesut Ozil goes, and we're not sure if he's going to go, there is a there is a promised land beyond Meza Erzul. He we may replace him with somebody better, more suited to how we want to play. And people get so upset about it because they're so trapped in their own performance metrics about the individual. We're not recognising that the club strategy is far more important, in my opinion, to where we're heading. And we cannot go anywhere if we have a player on eighteen million pounds a year that basically plays when he likes. And you can tell me more than five games he's played well this season. I'm here all night. So, and and then, and that's where we are, right? So well, we need to make a change one way or the other. And and yet, he still has more end product than Alex Awobi, who plays every single game. And I, I, look, I agree with everything you and Paul have said, almost everything, with the one exception that I think we dismiss his talent and potential at our peril. And the kind so, of substitute... So, uh, so listen, I, I do the, not... No, hold on. One second, one second. Mm-hmm. When it comes to talent, I've said he's the most talented player in the club. It was really interesting what we said the other week when he came on at Southampton. He had 20 minutes on the pitch and he made something like four or five entry passes into the last third. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, that statistics tell you that he passed the ball in the last third. Well, you know what? He started the game higher up. He had a few moments and he passed it forward into the last third. I saw with my eyes a player playing at half the pace everyone Absolutely, else was. Of course. No, he was struggling, terrible. He was terrible. Struggling, struggling to play as a substitute when I concluded maybe he's not a substitute. Didn't attack him. I've never seen him as a substitute before, really. I can really remember. And I don't think he is one. I think he's someone who needs to start from the start. Yeah, or he doesn't that. come on at all. He doesn't come on at all. And that's where statistics can can mirror what you're, sorry, can mask what your eyes are telling you, right? So 
we all we all saw it. We all saw, saw somebody who thought that was strange. Not even without attacking him. That was strange. That was very lackadaisical. That was strange. We couldn't put our finger on it, and suddenly these stories break. I just think we need to. The guy's a three hundred fifty thousand pound player. He's not a kid from the academy making his way through. We shouldn't compare and contrast. This guy's won the World Cup. He's played for Real Madrid. He's had a massive career. Right, so we can't compare and contrast with Alex Iwobi. He's a different animal, and he has different expectations. And he should he need to deliver based on those expectations, based on the salaries negotiated. And he's not. And we shouldn't be afraid to say that he's not delivering. He's not he's doing not. it consistently. And it's the problem is how do we manage this situation? It's a people management situation that's private within the club. And it's going to be really interesting to see as we approach January how it happens. The Beast could be awoken versus Burnley. And I'll tell you what, there'll be no one happier than me. Oh, look, at home to Burnley, that's all set up for him. Give me a break. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I hope it does. I hope it does. The Beast is awoken and Emery may have managed that out of him. And if he's done that, great. If it doesn't happen... We have a problem. Maybe not just one game, Elliot, but we've got the next two, three weeks where we need him. If he doesn't happen, then we've got a real serious conversation yeah, coming. And, and I wasn't, by the way, I wasn't trying to imply that you don't rate Mesodozo. That wasn't my point. My point is we have a problem in the name of Alex Awobi, who's in a slump. Henrik Mkhitaryan, who I realize he scored two goals against Southampton, but by and large, his end product is very uneven. Um, you know, we saw him miss a great chance in the derby, but he's also not the biggest chance creator. Alex Awobi creates next to nothing. I think that you know the manager doesn't want to play Aubameyang and Lacazette together as much, arguably because they're the only two we have, which I totally understand. We're and creaking. so you look, the We're squad creaking is creaking, and you look at Mesut Ozil and you say, gosh, it would be really handy to have a fit, firing, happy, healthy, productive Mesut Ozil. And I'm not blaming Emery for us not having that. I'm saying it is a, it is a conundrum that has the potential to de- derail the season because if you have him at his best, and I realize he's never been at his best consistently at Arsenal. But if you can get that out of him, Cook's even near his best out of him. That is a very, very, very big contributor. I mean, this is a guy who just about broke the Premier League assist record with you, me, and you know Olivier Giroud playing striker that season. So mm-hmm. it, it would be nice to get more out of him. Look, we have to take a quick break. And then we have to talk about the actual game in the lineup because I still need to kill Emery for his failure to rotate the squad properly. And we don't want to get out of here before we do that, which uh, that'll be coming after the break. Paul, I want to give you 30 seconds to explain to me what you've typed in the chat window, which is patently ridiculous. (laughs) 350,000 pounds a week is a problem. How is that not a problem? It is a problem. Okay, good. Okay, phew. <laughs> but it's not the size of problem that dictates anything you do football-wise. Emery should do whatever is best for our football. Paying him, I don't, I don't, as Clyde I don't disagree said, with that, yeah. Yeah. Paying him $18 million a year, that's money already fucking spent. If we decide we're going to sell, sell him, we'll cut some of that. Maybe we'll have to take a little bit of a bath on some of that money. A lot, but, but yeah. we, mm-hmm. our revenues are around $400 million a year. In a year, our uh, player salaries are are something like what uh, he says. Looking through the website here, like two hundred and something or other, two thirty five or something in that region. So that's uh, like I'm I'm pulling a, a percentage out of my ass. We'll say seven percent. I mean, you don't dictate your policy based on seven percent of your player spend. We uh, there might be much better ways to pay 350k there's no way that you have a a coach come into a big club with big salaries and somebody doesn't end up who's getting paid a lot of money getting frozen out they don't always 
get paid 350k Mm -hmm. but we might have expected a player on 225 or 250 uh that's just the price of changing coaches when things are going tits up and yes it might be an extra 100k uh on a player that it was ridiculous money to be paying him but that doesn't look at the tottenham's uh salaries versus ours i mean it's not even in the same ballpark so you can play great football uh, and absorb 7% of your wages going to Mesodozo. You should not change direction or play a player because he's on 350k instead of 225 or 250 which is the money we, we probably should have offered him at the time. We always argued that the problem under Arsene Wenger is that Arsenal didn't feel like a meritocracy, that players that played well yep. didn't necessarily get to break in, players that were playing poorly continued to start. I am glad that we are a meritocracy now. I think players need that. They need that to know that if they put in a great performance and work their ass off and do what's asked of them, that they will get more playing time, that they'll get bigger wages and so on and so forth. So I agree with everything you're saying there. I just hope Swiss Ramble wasn't listening because I can't imagine that the numbers were very accurate. Um, We'll take a break. You, You be careful what you say about the AST. They do very good work. I mean, your 7% Elliot. number. I don't, I don't know. If that's <laughs> I mean, you manufactured that out of thin air, buddy. Um, we're going to take a break and talk about lingerie because that is really the most important part of the podcast. But when we are done talking about lingerie, uh, yeah, I'm going to kill Emery for squad rotation. So you don't want to miss that. Stay with us. We're coming back after this. Okay, it's time to tell you about our friends at enclosedlingerie.com. That's enclosed, E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, lingerie. L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E, enclosedlingerie.com. You're going to want to go there right now because they are offering you $35 off any gift of lingerie from their site using checkout code ARSENAL. Enclosed Lingerie is a lingerie of the month gift, uh, similar to beer of the month or flower of the month, but every month you are going to receive high-end luxury lingerie for your partner. This is something that you got to do. It enhances the intimacy and the closeness in your relationship That doesn't happen on its own. It takes time, it takes energy and effort, and this shows real thoughtfulness. Plus, you don't have to wander around a department store sheepishly. You're getting something with a perfect fit guarantee, so size will never be an issue, and you're going to love giving this gift to your partner. I'm married, I have a toddler, um, I have a great relationship with my wife, but I have to admit that keeping that closeness is something you have to really focus on, especially as time goes by and your family grows. So... This is something you should absolutely do for your loved one. Go to enclosedlingerie.com, enter Arsenal at checkout. You'll get $35 off any enclosed gift, and you're giving something that shows real thoughtfulness, that's unique, that's just for you and your partner. Go there now, enclosedlingerie.com, and enter Arsenal at checkout for $35 off your gift. Do it now. Okay, we're back, and now we can get into the section everybody's been waiting for. Elliot kills the coach for squad rotation issues. I'm kidding. I'm not going to kill Emery. I think that there a reasonable debate can be had about this, but he surely should be sacked. Um, no, I'm kidding. I want to read you a tweet, Clive, before we get into this. Lucas Torreira has played an additional 269 minutes in the League Cup and Europa League this season so far. This is from Scott. Obama Yang an additional 308 minutes in the League Cup in Europa League. Socrates, an extra 540 minutes in the League Cup and Europa League. Now, that's just those players. I imagine there are others who have played and have extra minutes on their legs in those competition. Um, First-team players played 54% of the outfield minutes in the League Cup. 
Okay. Uh, if you want to read more of this, the shortfuse.com, uh, shortfuse.sbnation.com. Scott has an article there about Unai Emery's rotation and whether it'll hurt Arsenal during the um, winter program, the holiday program. But so I, I do want to ask about this. Look, I am sympathetic, Clive, to the idea that playing the old enemy at home creates a situation where you cannot necessarily afford to be looked at as taking the competition lightly. Having said that, your responsibility is you know, what's in the best interest of the club going forward. And honestly, now that we're out of the League Cup, I hate losing to Spurs, and it feels like shit losing to Spurs, but the truth is I'm kind of glad we don't have the two-legged tie against Chelsea in a following game against City to, to contend with when we're already creaking. I mean, how would you evaluate Emery's approach to rotation so far, and in particular, this lineup, which was essentially about as full strength as we could get? Yeah, he... Uh... Well, Spurs' was only one or two players off as well. Well, Harry Kane yeah. not playing is a big one because obviously he's the one guy they can't afford to live with. And, yeah, and by the way, I would argue Pochettino is... Yeah, and, the go- and they took the goalkeeper yeah, yeah, yeah. Two changes. Let me just say this. I think comparing to Pochettino is an interesting comparison because if you had to ask me what I think Pochettino's failed at at Spurs, it's managing a small squad to be able to last the season. Yeah, okay. I, I struggle with this one, if I'm honest, Elliot, because I don't think there is a... When when I normally talk about things, I, I try to uh, give an insight and I try to make people think and just give them a different... It's not working on me, buddy. Yeah, but <laughs> with, um, with rotation, it comes down to your expectations and they're personal to you, right? I, if he rota- if he, In this game, if he over-rotated and we lose 5-0 at home, that's that's not good. Right, that really isn't good. You don't lose five nil at home to the to the enemy, right? You, you can't let that happen. That stays on your record forever, right? So he cannot take that gamble. I I, I do think, and I think it's I think it's really changing actually how Arsenal fans react to to adversity. I, I think it's actually pretty quite bad, right? It's like we're still scarred. We've we've been through a rocky relationship with Arsenal Wenger for four or five years, really rocky, and we're damaged. We've come out the other side, and we've got this new girlfriend called Emery, right? And we're throwing all the love at him. We're giving him all the patience. But as soon as something goes wrong, all the old wounds are reopened, right? All the old wounds reopen, and the vitriol comes pouring down. And I think Emery's right to play these players, to create some momentum, to try to create a winning identity, try to get people really thinking we're progressing for Yes, really, because if we'd have lost some of those games, I don't think it'd have been well received. I think it'd been terribly received. Right? And, uh, and I, we had an example this week. I mean, I don't know what's happening on your Twitter feed, but my goodness, mine erupted. It erupted for a Carabao Cup game versus Spurs. I know it's Spurs. But man, it is not good. It is not good. Everyone is tr- is telling him what he's done wrong without telling him what he could do. Starting to attack him already. I'm thinking, wow, 22 games undefeated. I I, I know our points total is only about four or five higher than last year. But in every game, we've been competitive. We haven't been chucking games away. Our away records improved. In almost every game, we've been competitive, and I can see a, a positive direction of travel. Yet people seem to be picking it apart when he's been he suffered injury and suspension, two season long injuries that happened within three or four weeks of each other, that completely took away his plans for rotation, completely depowered him at both ends of the pitch, 
right? And and he has to hold that together. He has to react to that now. He has to move people around, play them out of position, and it's not ideal. And I guarantee you, not every one of those decisions have been correct, but I can understand what he's done. He hasn't done it from a position of strength. He hasn't done it because he's bored and everyone's fit. I want to give everyone a game. He's done it based on things that have been thrown at him, injury and suspension-wise, and closeness of games and having a, a quarterfile of the cup against your local rivals where you can't afford to rotate. You could say the Carabag game, you could have sat somebody else, maybe in hindsight. But we're talking, we're talking a few minutes here and a few minutes there. Me personally, I quite like the fact we go back to the one for all thing. Don't separate. Get everyone together. Make everyone feel part of it for every single game. That seems to be his modus operandi. And it's different to what we've known in the past. Has he made a few errors? Probably. Yes. In hindsight, <laughs> probably has. <laughs> probably has. Before the game, with the information that we know, it didn't look too bad to me, ah. some of those. And so I, I am maybe not the right person to debate this because I think it's bigger than the selection. This guy can't afford to fail at Arsenal. He can't afford. We've seen what... You've only got to look at Manchester United. You've got to do it right. When you have a generational manager in your club and he goes, the next one, you can't afford to lose in three, four games on the drop. You can't afford to be dumping competitions without trying. You've got to do mm. everything in your power to, to, to control the narrative for the season. Everything you've got. Every game counts. Every minute counts. Why should you chuck things? We're not the most forgiving group of fans. Why am I gonna? Why am I gonna risk it? Why am I gonna risk it? But see, like, okay, again, I want to be clear about saying I don't. It's not that I disagree with you with anything you've said in terms of the reaction or the issues facing Emery. I, Clive, I, I think you make very good points there, as you always do, and you've stated them very convincingly. I, I want a coach who is big enough. To say this is a Mickey Mouse Cup, I have seven games in twenty days. Sorry, I so I got to stop you. I got to stop you because you know what? Tim went out and said this is a Mickey Mouse Cup, and look what happened to him. Yeah, but but that's the whole point. I mean, Tim Tim is just a supporter getting Tim. Yeah, he well, yeah, yeah. first of all, I mean, he's also a Spurs fan, so there's that. But like, what I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is, why should he manage? Why should he manage to fan sentiment? Like, don't we want a big enough coach to stand up and say, I know there are going to be some people that are mad at me, but when we finish top four, no one's going to be looking back and talking about the League Cup game where I started the kids. They're going to be saying, Wow, Emery really got it right through the holiday program. I mean, isn't isn't it more okay. important? Because can I ask you a question, Clive? If we drop some dumb matches over the, if we lose, if we drop points to Burnley, or if we drop points to Brighton, and we we miss top four by two or three points, which is going to be worse? That he's, you know, which which is going to haunt him more? Missing top four and being back in the Europa next season, or having potentially beaten Spurs the in the League Cup? Yeah, I mean, well, honestly, we we played the kids once versus Chelsea in the final, and and I hated it. Right, so ah, it, there was a good you, fight. Yeah, there was a good fight fine. at the end. Yeah, I, I, I hated it. I, what I'm trying to say to Elliot is, not everyone thinks that way. Some people say that you know but what? But should those people influence win. the coaches? That's that's the, the not crux saying, of it. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying to you, we you, you got people think differently about this, right? And this yeah, is sure, why I haven't got a su- I haven't got a super strong view. If I have a super strong view, that me. means that <laughs> means I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to convince people to my way around the thinking. I haven't got a super strong view on this because I, I actually I don't think he's done that much wrong. You see what I mean? All I do see, I try to understand where he's coming from. And I look around and I see our reaction 
to defeat. I'm thinking, well, you know what, mate? I'm not surprised you picked that team. I'm not surprised that you're trying to hold this team together, even for Europa Cup games, because you can't afford to have anyone start to question you. And he's lost a couple of games on the trot, and the questions have started. You know what's weird, though, Clive? I have a super strong view. All right, let, let, me, let me get Paul back in here for a second, even though I, no one is dying to hear what he's got to say, but he, he's on the podcast, so we should ask him. <laughs> the, the only thing I'll say to that, Clive, is what's weird is you're right. Look, people are going over the top with conclusions after matches because it, we do have a twenty, you know, a, a two-minute news cycle right now, and we have the ability to yell at each other on the internet 24 hours a day, and so yeah. we do it. But the one thing that's funny is most of the criticism for Emery I saw after the loss was for not rotating. Now, maybe my timeline is just constructed differently, but I saw a lot of people that were kind of like, what I didn't we... see that. See, and and that you know I that may speak that. to some some differences in in. I saw things like why do we not play a back four? What is Shaka doing a back at three, centre half? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Why do we play a back three? What is Shaka doing at centre half? Why can't we play Medley? Why can't we play Litsteiner? Why can't we play this player? Why can't we play that player? Yeah, I just saw that's sort of I, I the saw same a lot of that. Kind of thing. I well, saw a lot of right. that. That's not rotation. That is disagreeing with how he set up the team. And he's only set up the team this way because of things that have been thrown at him. Yeah, no, and he's right, made look. a couple of choices that people disagree with. That's cool. That's football, right? But man is strong. I think it's strong. I don't think he's done that just to piss people off. Okay, no, 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 of course. And by the way, I mean, look, I think the other thing you have to acknowledge, and we can't know this. You can't prove a negative. You can't prove a thing that didn't happen. I think if he had gone out with a, a more youthful and rotated lineup, there may have been a little less vitriol and pickiness about... The result, just hear me out just for a second, in the sense that, you know, if you're going to start at damn near full strength and lose, people are going to question how you approach the match. Playing a high line with a taped together back four that contains Shaka and, and, and Koscielny. If you go a little more youthful and it doesn't work out, people could say, well, you know what, he had to prioritize. Let, let's get Paul back into this for a second. Yeah. Paul, yeah, I mean, you do feel more strongly than this. Look, I, the original I sin, do. if we're talking about original sin again, might be might be the the way he used the team throughout the League Cup and Europa League leading up to this, too. I mean, I thought the lineup against Carabag at home was stronger than it should be. But so where do you fall on the issue of of how he's rotated and ultimately what he chose to do in this game? Look, I'm fucking livid. Um, 7.6595%, you cocksucker. <laughs> Good for you, man. Right. So, uh, no... I, I'm fully with you on this rotation shit. Um, it's bananas. Let me. So here's a quiz for you. What word is missing from this two-word hyphenated uh, phrase? The the second word is prone. You have to guess what the first word is. While I read out our defenders. In injury. Hector Bellerin. <laughs> oh, Elliot. Anyway, Hector <laughs> Bellerin. Socrates just just coming back, uh, Laurent Koscielny, Stefan Lichsteiner, 36, Rob Holding, dead, Nacho Monreal, just back, just Stokan about dead, Straffi, uh, <laughs> injured, Carl Jenkinson, out for a year, Konstantinos Mavropanos, or also known as Dinos, it's been a while, but I believe that's his, his nickname, still not back, despite the fact that he was going to be back October, November, Sayad, Kolasinac, need I say no more. Those are our list of defenders. And you match with that Lucas Torreira, who's playing every minute of every game, uh, fucking charging around the place, 
cockalanning all over the place with tackles and interceptions and running himself into the ground playing these games. It's fucking nuts. So I don't think he needed to say, I don't want to win this game or this game doesn't matter, but he needed to do some significant rotation there. Um, we basically played a full-strength team. What could he have done? I, I want to know. I, I, honestly, I want to know. Torreira didn't play against Carrier Bag. He played in this game. He probably played, played in Maitland Niles in midfield, right? Play at right back. Play Saka. Play uh, Zek Medley, who's played centre back and left back. Uh, play anybody, or play Maitland Niles there, and play Will- Willock in midfield. Play, you know, Nikitia could have started. Um, we could. You know, there's all sorts of options. Um, so play the kids. Uh, it's a point of view. It's a difficult one. It's I difficult. get that no one wants to lose to Spurs. And and look, let me ask you this, Clive. Let, let's just t- do a play hypothetical. The kids to play to win. That's all I'm saying. Can, can I? Can I? Let me let me give you a hypothetical, Clive. Let's say that we had been playing Burton. Okay. What do you What do you think his lineup would have like looked like for that? I think it'd been different. I, the fo- football's football's different, right? The top six are are smashing the bottom 14 of the league, right? They're smashing them to pieces. It's a different game. The gap for the kids to play against a top six team, I think it's just a bit big at the moment. I watched those kids play against Carabag. They look fantastic. It doesn't mean that translates to Spurs. Look at that young kid, Juan Foyf, who's played for Spurs in centre defence, got absolutely ruined. He's been, put, he's been put in an incubator now. They can't bring him out for a little while. They can't because he got done. We we're not forgiving. We go on like, oh, it's okay, play the kids. We won't we won't kill them. Man, if Zach Medley has a bad game, it could take him two years to recover. You can't risk a career like that. You can't risk Zach Medley running back with with Son. You can't do it. You have an experienced player, even though he's not a centre half, but his career can suffer it. Right? So you've got to think more holistically here. You play can't Carl just Jenkinson, go... play Willock, play I, I think I, Carl, Jen- Carl Jenkinson is an interesting one, right? Because I actually, you know, a lot of people think he's one of the worst Arsenal players ever in the history of mankind, but I actually think that he could do a job in a, in a wing-back role on the right-hand side. Yeah. I absolutely think he could. I think it I think it simplifies his role. He's very athletic, and he's a fantastic crosser of the ball, and he, and he runs through lines. In a wing, if we're going to play a back three, I think we could use him in that right wing-back role and play Maitland-Niles inside. But I'm not in the club. I don't know if Carl Jengerson has got a has got a club to go to in January, and they don't want to overplay in case he gets injured and the deal goes. We don't know everything. Play Plegas Waylo's injured. Yeah, he's injured. Zach Bedley played under 23s and lost 4 0 in the week to to Blackburn, and he was average. Right? And that's under 23 game. So we don't know everything. We think we do, but we don't. Can I ask you you a question, just an existential question, real quick? Let's say we had heavily, heavily, heavily rotated and played basically no one that's critical to the first team and lost 5 0. And everyone would say, it's only Burley at home, Saturday. What are we rotating for? Uh, Well, I mean, well, it's 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 not that it's Burnley at home Saturday. It's that we play, you know, however many games it is now, six games in 18 days. And, and we... everyone's got the same. And in fact, Tottenham have got the least, least rest days of all, or almost all the top mm, six good, teams. Fuck <laughs> and, and you know what? The, the result is those two extra games in January. I, I don't know why I find myself defending the club. And what I'm trying to say is I don't <laughs> think... I don't think the rotational options were that obvious. And when people say rotate, 
what they make this massive assumption that their rotation ideas would make everything better. Why would it be better? It could be it could be substantially worse. Well, I'm not talking about the result. I'm talking about we're we're putting. What you can't argue about is that our rotation options would rest some key players. Oh, I, I swear! I swear! If we had all the players, we were doing it beautifully earlier. If we had Welbeck holding and no suspensions, he would rotate. He would absolutely rotate. He was doing it earlier in the season. Jenkinson. I think that's a miss, but I don't know what's happened there. I can't answer that one. I can't answer that one. But if we're talking about Carl Jenkinson, when we, then you Look, know, I'm not sure that's we, we a desperately need Granite Shack and Lucas Torreira. We agree that they're that double pivot they formed in center of the pitch is absolutely crucial. And to me, Torreira looks a little heavy legged lately. I mean that that seems like a miss for rest. Playing Shaka in an unfamiliar position again, trying to play you know a high line in the back four that that seems like a miss. You, you know, look, I'm I, I was joking about killing Emery by the way. I'm, I'm not I'm not like you know miserable over this but i i do you look i will say this you know i consider this cup to be a complete joke if we had won this cup i would not care i know that sounds like 2020 hindsight and just trying to be wise after the fact which is really my specialty um but like i don't care about this cup and i feel like it is it is a distraction but a lot of people a, do a lot do of people it's care about the league for people cup? who go to the games yeah I, all right yeah. of course i i, I grant that. that there's a much bigger connection and there a are people that do, go to these games that never get to go rotation yeah, yeah sure can be slightly dangerous, right? So, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, right? A player that we generally like. Would, would, would that be fair? We generally like. Yeah. We'd, we'd like him to be a bit more proactive. We'd like him to be a bit more intense on occasions. And we have theories around that, but we generally like him. I, I watched him a couple of times the last couple of weeks, and I'm thinking, oh, come on, mate, you've got a lot here. You've got a lot. Get it out. Get it out. This is your time. He plays on the, on the right side. I'm thinking, this is your chance. And actually... He doesn't actually do as well as he does sometimes on the left. And now he's getting criticised for being a, an auxiliary fullback when actually he's a centre midfielder that never gets a chance to play in centre midfield. Yeah, well, that's true. And people, and people are after him. Right? So, and, and, people, and this, is what's, this is what's so dangerous. This is the risk. So you have a situation where we have a kid that's been in our club since he was eight years of age and he plays in an outside position against North London rivals in a cup quarter final. He does at a six out of ten game. And people are after him. And and you want to put more kids in. You can't have a 10-year investment and risk it like that. You just can't do it. Because the fan group don't allow you always to recover. Some people, including myself, I'll put my hand up here, have lost confidence in Callum Chambers since he played right back against Swansea. As far as they were concerned, he was done. He was doing but, fantastic until that game. And, it, and, it, and, he, and he struggled afterwards. What I have to say is you, you are a sensible man. Hmm. I we're, go you, we're all, and, but there's a lot of people out there that do not give you the latitude they don't give you the latitude I wish they would give more latitude to younger players because they, they take the criticism just like anybody else because the desperation to win is so acute the desperation to win is so acute they're stopping to th- they're not thinking they're not thinking about the investment the preparation, the development, the time it's taken to get them to this point can be ruined with one bad decision in front but, of a life. Clive, e- e- even if we accept that the desperation to win is is overpowering, he's got that problem no matter what he does. It's just a question of what 
decisions he makes and he's going to get killed over the Christmas period if we're tired, if we're worn out, if we get injuries and we start losing. And to your point about Maitland-Niles being played out of position, Emery should be seeing that and saying this is an opportunity in this game to be a little bit more experimental, to play Ainsley Maitland-Niles in the centre of midfield, rest Torreira, play Carl Jenkinson on the right, play Zach Medley. Um, I mean, the idea that a player's career gets killed because he has a bad uh, Carabao Cup game, I'm not really buying that. Kids get played all the time in these competitions. This was going to be a strong team, even if we rotated an extra two or three players into it. Um, we, we've done this for decades, playing uh, kids. Well, and, uh, and by the way, just real quick, Paul, to your point, Clive, a, yeah. a point you made on, on a podcast a little while back. This is the chance kids get to make a career. A guy yeah. comes in, he plays in central midfield against the hated enemy in a Carabao Cup game, and he has, oh, and he has a stormer, it. and suddenly and he's in the team. Most of our kids disappear without ever hitting the radar. Yeah, so, good point. All I'm, all I'm saying to you is, when I say killed, I mean just criticize. Right? Yeah, yeah of course. I know, keep, I know what you mean. Let's, yeah. keep in, mm-hmm. let's keep in context. And also, all I will say is, there's a lot, a hell of a lot of people that don't want to see you go out to Spurs without your top boys out and that's just the way it is personally i'm 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 pretty laissez-faire about it i haven't got a strong position on this i'm not upset we are i'm no i'm not upset we are out when people say rotate i'm thinking well let come on now what where where are we going with this give me some better options give me some really options that make things make me feel a lot better because i don't see them i think we have a we have a slightly top heavy squad we have gaps between the top end of our best players and our worst players i think there's there's still gaps there that gap is too big it's too big to trust and when it comes down to it i've watched i've watched Arsenal lose five nil chelsea in a in the in league cup game i didn't like it right i didn't like it there was a point in that game late on when spurs were breaking i'm thinking this could be three or four here this could be three or four because we're now chasing the game. And yeah, but to be me, fair, we had our first they, team out there. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't. We had we had the, the more experienced players, but it wasn't. That's not the Arsenal team that played in the North London derby, right? Neither positionally, or we had many players that were missing. That is not the same team that played in that game, and so it's just a different different dynamic to the game. Look, I have. I, I keep saying I haven't got a strong view because I really haven't. I haven't got a strong view. What I will say is just try to put yourself in the manager's shoes and think for a bit. You can't just throw kids in there. None of us, you know, I don't think you can do that against Spurs. Against Burton, absolutely. Against somebody, against Blackpool, absolutely. You can do that then because the levels are appropriate. Against Spurs, I don't think you can do that. I'm sorry, I just don't think you can. I, I will say this. My prevailing sentiment is that Emery has played critical first-team players in fixtures where I wish he had rested them. I have a lot of sympathy for this particular situation because we had just lost to Southampton, which I'm sure weighed on his mind. You don't want to start to get into a rut. You're at home in front of a packed house against your rivals. It's in a competition you'd rather not have to worry about, but you're in it, and I, I agree that it is a challenge for him. What I would like to see is for him to have the confidence in his position and the stature in the game to say, I have to prioritize, and my priority is the league right now because I still think we can finish top four. But 
I, and I got to say, there's absolutely no reason that Jenkinson and Katia and Willock couldn't have started this game. Let, let, let me finish that topic with just saying this. I do think that there is a disconnect between me sitting here 400,000 miles away from Arsenal, <laughs> analyzing it with my limited brain power, and someone who has to be in a cauldron of 60,000 expectant fans, many of whom never get to go to games, right? I mean, there are a lot of Carabao Cup game people that go who have a chance to go that don't get to go all the time and not wanting to let them down. I will, I will promise you this. My reaction is not based on us losing. I, I, this was my opinion before we played the game, and it's my opinion after the game. I think losing makes it hurt more because we went for it, so to speak, and didn't get it. Um, I think we should do this because we are already over the hour mark. I think we should at least put 10 minutes into a couple performances that I think are relevant. I think, obviously, defensively we have issues. But, Paul, let me just ask you this. I mean, what do you make of the decision to use Shaka in a back four and, and sort of the way that he and Koscielny were exposed in this game. I mean, what's the logic there? Uh, I think the logic is at least they're experienced players uh, generally. But I don't think his options were there, really. Um, uh, so, you know, the di- when I look back on this game, I mean, we had plenty of good chances to score. The, the Mkhitaryan chance at- changes the whole game, obviously. Yeah. I mean, look at our first goal in the in the recent game against Spurs. Was uh, Mustafi going up for a header and it hit in uh, what's-his-face's arm for a penalty. So it's funny how the narratives change based on circumstances. But we had four or five really good goal-scoring opportunities in the first half. They just had us on toast on the counter every time. Um, it was two they, balls straight up the pitch that got yeah. them that second goal. I mean, a goal and kick And there was a third one ahead. that... Uh, yeah, there was a third one in the first half. Don't quite remember the details, but I remember thinking that's three fucking excellent chances, and they they took two of them, um, and they just had us on toast at the back at the cen- at the center half point. I mean, we, they just they were free each time. Uh, maybe not enough pressure on the ball, blah blah blah, but absolutely on the back line, high line, exposed, and that was the gamble we took. To Clive's point, this was although this was pretty much our strongest team, it was not the it was not anywhere near as balanced or complete as the 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 uh, Premier League match against Spurs just uh, a couple of weeks ago. So that was our major Achilles heel. I don't think the manager had a lot of options. Uh, we won't go back to that other discussion, but I don't actually think it would have cost him much. Um, yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> to to do a little rotating stuff, but probably not at centre back. He probably did what he could do at centre back, but he I guess he could have played Nacho in there as one of two centre backs. I will say this: I think that going with a back four here was maybe something he felt was his only option based on the personnel available to him. I'd much rather have Shaka in midfield at that point where he's so effective. We we, we all would. We yeah. all would. Yeah. So I mean, all right. Well. Let me get on to another performance just real quick that, that kind of has me concerned. It's really two performances. It's, it's a Wobie and Mkhitaryan, and I thought Aaron Ramsey was our man of the match. Um, he should have had an assist, and he could very easily have had a goal that was really, really well saved by whatever a Gazinga is. But, um, I mean, I, I, I think that Wobie and Mkhitaryan are, are a big problem right now, Clive, because essentially we're playing with one striker, and the two wide forwards are providing, I mean, again, 
Mkhitaryan had two goals against Southampton, so I got to be careful. But by and large, they're not producing the end product. Some we need people, some, this is again, again, what we're doing. I mean, I got to be honest with you. Player performance is starting to really piss me off. It really is, right? Because a lot of people were saying the game was lost when the Wobi came off. Right, and that was the view of the TV over here. That was the view of many people. I happen to think that his end product is becoming inconsistent. I believe that Mkhitaryan has bright moments, but again, he's inconsistent. I, and you said Ramsey was man of the match because he had a couple of shots in the first half. Can you remember if there anything in the second half? Because I can't. I don't know that second we did half, much in the second half period. <laughs> second half, he faded away yes. completely. And so we have a team that's creaking, that's is playing in spurts. Aubameyang's playing in spurts. Lacazette's playing in spurts. We've, we're, we're creaking. We are not on the up curve. Right? We're, there's nobody. And what's happening, if you add to that, you, you say we're at full strength. Well, Koscielny came on in the second half because we're trying to manage his load. So he's there in name, but he's, at the moment, he's distanced all over the place. Monreal's a, a bigger worry for me because he hasn't been out for seven months. He's only been out for two, three weeks. And he looks like he's getting old on our books, yeah. which is mm-hmm. a real worry. That's for sure. Which is a real worry. Peter Cech is not looking... You know, he looks okay, but he's getting old on our books. Lichstein is 36. He's getting older on our books. And we're to, uh, this is a problem. This You're making is a, a strong problem. argument They're, for rotating the squad. <laughs> this, is a, this is a problem, right? So you put the experienced players there, hoping they can draw on their experience. I'm watching decisioning from Monreal and Koscielny, and it, it may be because they're not match sharp. And I'm worried about that because... A year ago, they are they're key to our defence. A year later, we're looking at Socrates, who's brand new, and he's our best defender. Easily. A year later, we're missing Mustafi, and that's the truth. That's how quickly football changes, right? A year ago, I wasn't sure about Rob Holding. I would love him in the team right now. That's how quickly things change. It's just managing these moments. It is critical. Iwobi and Mikatarian, I'm loath to kill them. Because well, we, we don't have to them. kill them to criticize. Mm. I mean, look, I, Clive, I want to be clear. I think they're both talented. I think is very talented. But right now, what I would say with Iwobi is he's doing a lot. of. He's very strong in the ball. He's hard to dispossess. He can get out of tight spaces. He brings the ball into the final third pretty well. But if you're only playing with one striker, you have to have end product elsewhere. It's not that I'm killing right. him. It's that I'm saying I think we're short of end product. And so what do okay. we do with those positions? So what's changed for Iwobi? The biggest change for Iwobi in the last two weeks has been Colosinic missing from the team. That's fair. Yeah, because he, receiving that ball in that space, he can shake and bake and play that ball through that channel between fullback and centre-half all day long. And he's brilliant at it. Absolutely brilliant at it. Without anyone running through lines, which I noted against Southampton, Monreal, because he's looking after his legs and looking after Shaka at the back there, he wasn't running through lines. So Iwobi's now forced to do something else. He's forced to bring it, beat the first man, and then beat the second man, and then create himself. And he's finding that harder to do. Right? He likes to play wall passes. He likes to create yards, wall pass, deliver, wall pass, deliver, shake down in between the lines. His game has changed because of the injury. Right, Mikatarian again, Mikatarian, I think he's a very hard player to read. I, I, what I, from a coach's point of view, what I like about him is he doesn't lose his side, doesn't lose his battle. 
you look at him and think, man, you could do a bit more because you've got all the talent and he doesn't quite meet expectations. So he gets criticized at a time. I think we underrate him, though, Clive. I think Uh, we do. I think he's getting a hard time at the moment. You know why, Paul? Because we're we're desperate for goals. We're desperate for striking power. Our expectations have gone on him now. They've risen because we're not firing up front anymore because our two goal scores has just dried up a little bit. Right, Lacazette and Aubameyang, they've just dried up. They're looking a bit leggy. Guess what? Their minutes have gone up. Guess why? Danny Welbeck's no longer there. This is all it is. We have to manage this, right? It's good. They have to play through it and manage it. And I don't see the rotation options that are going to give us the quality that we need. I watched Eddie and Ketcher in the week. I watched him close. He's got a chance as a right winger at this age, 18, 19. He's got a chance. He's got a lovely step inside and out, and he can deliver. We're not really playing with wingers. So he's got to be a 15-minute striking option where we need something. That's where he is in his career. Doesn't mean he's dead. He needs another year. He probably needs to go on loan. He probably needs to build up a little bit more. And then he can become a second striker somewhere quite quickly. But he needs time. So in our eyes, the names are there and we're hopeful. But realistically, maybe we should trust the coach that actually sees them every single day, knows their levels, talks to the players, works out the best formation. And I'm more willing to trust what he decides at this present time as he's learning about these set of players. He's probably been given Maitland-Niles and been told he's the fullback. He's probably now found out, you know what? It's time to try him in centre midfield. We have to give him a break, in my opinion, that he's, he's slightly new to the role. Paul? Yeah, well, look, uh, while I'm, I've criticised the manager a lot implicitly today. Uh, I'm basically with Clive. I, I I don't really have any issues with him. Um, there there are decisions I'd question, but I'm still I like what he's doing. We've got to give him more time. Um, I definitely would have approached this game a little different. I still would have gone to win it, but with a different lineup. Generally, he's still very much in the gathering information his his phrase from uh, a few weeks and a few months ago every game is more information about players he's still trying things out um i wasn't expecting to have this feeling truly that we were going to need multiple windows it it seemed like we were beginning to hit a curve uh an upward trajectory there and you looked you look at the kind of two steps forward one step back it seemed we were taking three and four steps forward and only one step back i think we just kind of hit a re things have been reset and we're back to kind of what we should have expected and it's a little bit of a low point we've lost a couple of games uh we got a lot of injuries in particular areas of the pitch which make us feel nervous and we kind of maybe lost a bit of our mojo in terms of playing style on the pitch where it seems like we're now performing to uh, our lower xg um uh, predictions from earlier so i don't think we quite know how to feel at the moment which way is up and down whether we're being whether we're writing our our value down or too high at the moment but I think the manager's generally doing a very, very good job, uh, even if I nitpick this decision or that position because we're on a podcast and that's what you do. I yeah, think well, he's, like we're, we're literally he's here far, to analyze yeah. and debate this stuff. I, yeah. you know, let's, let's... He's got far more right than wrong as far as I'm concerned. He's still overperforming in terms of how he is keeping it about the football, how he's set the tone for the club, how he's continuing to find solutions 
still earlier still early in the game and i think it's it's still early to go uh to, to throw our toys out because we got the whole of the christmas period to do that right into uh, the start of january that's when we'll really know whether our chickens are coming home to roost well, but- i have a slightly different opinion of that only because the, the one thing that has really broken in his favor and it is something that could really be a benefit to us when we find ourselves at a bit of a low ebb right now. I know that Liverpool game is coming on the 29th, and that's going to be a, tr- a tough one, and it may not go our way. But the other games between now and when we face Chelsea at the Emirates on the 19th are Burnley at home, Brighton away, Fulham at home, Blackpool away, West Ham away. I think we win all of those quite comfortably. And... Yikes. I, I think that given that we will win all those games, uh, not the Liverpool game, of course, I'm not an idiot, but given that we will win those games and win those games comfortably, I think that we will have gotten ourselves back on some solid footing in terms of just the, the morale around the club at that time. I think if we fail to win those games, then he should be sacked immediately with, with no <laughs> recourse, no waiting, just immediately sack him and, and make Paramount a sacker manager. Should I give you another scenario? Because I think Brighton away is going to be a very hard game. Um, and Brighton away before Liverpool away will not be easy. To win at Brighton, I'm really concerned that we're going to have to play Torreira. If Torreira picks up a booking, he can't play at Liverpool. And so we've got to manage that sentiment. Well, then he'll have the really day off, good. finally. Yeah. <laughs> we can lose to Liverpool <laughs> yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, so that, that worries me in the back of my mind. I think Brighton is a tough one. I think Burnley are going to do what I did against Spurs. And they're going to sit in, and Spurs scored in the last minute, and were lucky to do so. Yes, but 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 they so, were bad against Spurs. Let's be clear. I mean, Spurs had like thirty-two shots to like one or something. It was something crazy. Yeah, yeah. And they and they're going to do the same. They're, they're going to do the same. What he said, they're going to frustrate us, right? They're going to try to do the same. That's going to be a tough one, right? So we get an mm-hmm. early goal, the whole thing changes, right? So hopefully that works out. Fulham at home. Let's just hope that they don't start their bounce back against us. We should be okay. So yeah, I'm looking at the the double header: Brighton and Liverpool. That's where the Christmas is, and um, I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, I, look, every game in the Premier League has the chance to trip you up, but I do have confidence in us. You know, now maybe I shouldn't have confidence in us to beat up the, the weaker teams because we've been a little more conservative. But uh, you know, I I think Emery has gotten a little bit fortunate that between now and the nineteenth of January, he's got just the one really tricky fixture. Um, not that the others are like guaranteed wins. I'm not trying to say something stupid like that, but I, I think we will win them, and I think that that is, you know, a, a massive lift. But but ultimately, look, to win these easy games, you need goals. It's not killing Iwobi or Mkhitaryan to make the point that we look a bit short of end product with those two on the pitch and a lone striker. And so I do think that Emery has to find a way to get a little more from this team going forward, especially like in games like the one that's coming up, this Burnley game. And if Ozil starts, that could be a part of it. So we will see. I Look, we're, we're past the 80-minute mark now, um, which you know ordinarily wouldn't be bad because I actually think this has been a really spirited and interesting debate, but th- the match is going to come up pretty much after I publish this. So we, we probably should tie it off there. I think there is a lot more interesting stuff to come. January will certainly be an interesting one, both on and off the pitch. We are going to try to have podcasts out for you after every single show. My busy period literally ended today, so hopefully I will have the ability to do that. I mean, Paul, do you have sort of a final thought on, on where we are? Uh, no, I think you're you're cruising for a bruising, though, with your it's going to be a cakewalk to Liverpool spiel. Well, not till Liverpool. Shit. I'm saying Liverpool will be tough, but all the games around it until Chelsea on the 19th will be easy wins. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's, <laughs> that's not anymore. how Chris 
we'll we'll Easy. have performances where we say simple man we're tired. Easy wins. Man, three three goal like wins tired. in every one of those games. God love we're, we're, we're winning four nil tomorrow. That that much is certain. I mean ten nil, obviously, but four nil. Um, I'll be here with my tender loving arms when you need that comfort. <laughs> you don't think we'll win four nil? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know which game it's going to be, but we're going to have a couple of games where we're looking decidedly can, dull. Can you back the club for fuck's sake? <laughs> come on, come on. Paul. It's you I can't back. <laughs> That's fair. Clive, 4 0, right? Against Burnley? Oh, man, I'm, I'm worried about it. So I've not seen oh, the spark. Support the lads. Uh, I'm, I'm worried. I, I think we'll, I think, I think it's going to be ugly tomorrow, no matter what it is, it's going to be ugly. And I don't care how it goes tomorrow. Just long as, but we're starting to get Colosseenic back. I hear that that'll be good. We're going to get some width. We're going to get some devastation. Literal right width. He's a wide person. He's just wide. We really miss that width. Without that that ability to play wide people in, we've looked different. We've looked pretty ugly. And um, so you know it's important that Colosseenic can play Brighton and Liverpool. And the fact that that guy's missed. I read something today. He's missed seventy eight percent of our games since he's been on our books. I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? So I'm thinking, you know what? Do we even play him against Burnley? Do we just go ugly and beat them? And then we I'd, hopefully... I'd play, play Giroud and just lump it into the box. Yeah, we could do with him right yeah. now. But hey, let's no, not go no, there. No, we couldn't. So yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. Man. <laughs> okay. I've got to be honest with you, I'm concerned. Well, look, I'm sorry. Look, the one thing about the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast that you can uh, be sure about is if you tune in, you will at least get me supporting the lads and backing the club, unlike these other two fuckers. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner gives five-star review. Write nasty things about Clive and Paul. Um, and, you know, Tim will hopefully be back after he gets back from Brazil. Uh, Cla- uh, Scott will be back, even though his stats somehow sort of made it into this podcast via the tweets that he's putting out. So I don't have to do any homework, which is nice. Uh, we will be back after uh, the next match, and then we'll have more Patreon content coming up and all kinds of good stuff like that. If we don't talk to you before then, we will talk to you before then. I was going to wish you a Merry Christmas, but fuck it. You don't deserve it. You'll get it after the next podcast. In any event, we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Bring me notes.